I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have no opportunity to show it. I'm saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can tell everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I receive full payment, and even more, I am amply supplied. Now that I received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they fragrant offerings and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus, the brothers, who are with you. Send greetings, all the saints. Send you greetings, especially those who belong in Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, um, Joe, for reading that passage of Scripture for us tonight. We look at uh, Philippians chapter 4. It's a massive section, verses 10 to 23. Probably about three or four sermons in uh, that section alone. Well, tonight we're going to look at this topic, to be generous, be content. Why do we seem to want more? Why is it so hard to accept less? Why do we get tempted by bigger and better things? For example, the latest phone that's on the market, perhaps. Uh, someone said to me just this past week, we need to wait perhaps for two months before iPhone 5 is released. It's going to be in the market soon. Why is it so difficult to be satisfied? Why is it so hard to be content? Well, friends, we are driven by an age of consumerism, aren't we? And the advertising industry is massive, and it's pushing us to get the next best gadget on the market. According to an analysis of global spending data, the Australian brands spend more on advertising per individual consumer than any other country in the world. Uh, Based on a company that's done the research for this, Zenith Optimedia, Australia comes out on top with advertisers annually spending $496.09 per person in 2010. A staggering amount of about $11 billion in this industry today. 
And so the push is really on for us to get the best gadget. $496 per person being spent on the advertising market because they want you to get that new gadget, that best car on the market, the best clothing brand that you can get or whatever they want to promote, they will do so. So obviously there's nothing wrong with advertising. There's nothing wrong in in promoting one's product. Companies need to promote their products and uh, the public need to be aware of it. They need to know what's on the market so that our economies can prosper both here in Australia and across the world. But the idea behind all of this is you need to get the next thing better because then it will give you satisfaction in your life. Perhaps it's that better job. Uh, Maybe it's that prettier girlfriend. Or maybe it's the better looking guy that you need to look for. Maybe it's a nicer car. Maybe it's a better vacation than last year or whatever. And it seems to me that our energies can be consumed by always wanting more and therefore in reality living in a state of constant dissatisfaction with what we have. And the temptation is for our eyes to scan all of these advertising products in the market and to seek the best thing on the market to give us satisfaction. So how do we live in such a context of uh, promotions uh, in this world to get the next best gadget? Well, in tonight's passage, the Apostle Paul speaks about learning the secret of what it means to be content, both in plenty and in want. It is, I think, a very radical outlook to life, being content both in plenty and in need. And so tonight, we're going to wrap up our series of the book of Philippians. It's been a great book. It is a great book. It is a book that's noted for a recurrent theme of joy that comes through the entire book. If you look at the book of Philippians, for example, Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord. Again, in chapter 1, it's about joy. Again, in chapter 1, it's about partnership in ministry. It's about rejoicing in the faith and the hope and the confidence that Paul has in Christ. And he brings the church into this note of joy. The Christian life, my dear friends, is one that is characterized by joy. This afternoon, we had our profession of faith classes. I praise God for those who are attending the classes. And I said to them, as part of growing up in Christ, is to experience the joy of knowing Jesus. And that's what Paul is on about in this letter. And so, for example, the church here at, uh, at, Philippians, at Philippi is remembered for its generosity. Now, churches are remembered for many things. Example, the church at Ephesus was known for its hard work. What about the church at Corinth? What's it known for? <laughs> Divisions, right? Schisms, divisions, fighting, infighting. It's happening in the church. But the church at Philippi is known for remembering. And why do I say this? They remembered Paul during his financial hardship. They were a church that showed compassion. It was a church that showed generosity. And just to put this uh, section in its context here, Paul has given a series of practical encouragements the Philippians, beginning from chapter 4, verse 2. He has dealt with the issues such as conflict. How do you deal with conflict? How, to, how do you deal with one another? By being gentle. How to be joyful. How to deal with anxiety? By praying. 
Bring your anxieties to God. He's, been dealing, he's dealt with the topic of prayer. He's dealt with the topic of how to think of good things that, we can, that can influence our mind. And today, how to be content, how to be generous as Christians. So this evening, I want to broadly uh, divide this, this passage of Philippians chapter 4, 10 to 23 into two areas, if I can put it this way. One, we will look at the gratitude, and, and under this section, the generosity of the people, uh, the secret of uh, what it means to be content, and the generosity of God. And then we're going to look at grace. Greetings from the household of Caesar, and then saving grace and transforming grace. All right? So we'll look at this together. Well, firstly, uh, Paul says, he speaks about uh, the gratitude. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And he explains that in these verses, and I'm not going to read it uh, tonight. It's on PowerPoint here. Paul is rejoicing in the Lord. He's expressing his gratitude to this congregation at Philippi. He's rejoicing in the Lord. He's expressing thanks to the Lord for the Philippian Christians. And in doing so, he's also showing his gratitude to them for their participation in the gospel shown in their renewed concern for him. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ has done a great work in their lives. Now remember this, friends. Paul came to Philippi and there were no Christians there. Absolutely no one. No Christians, right? He was the first missionary there. And remember how this church was established. Just think about it for a moment. We read about its establishment in Acts chapter 16. There was a wealthy lady called Lydia. She was a business lady, right? That was her name. There was a slave girl, an oppressed Greek girl there. And then there was the jailer who was a middle-class Roman citizen. And all of them, under Paul's ministry, were transformed, converted. And this became the nucleus. This became the very uh, conception of the church at Philippi. So Lydia was wealthy. She was a religious person, but no, no gospel, no salvation. The slave girl was a bitter, oppressed girl. The Roman jailer was indifferent and cruel. All were lost. And Paul, by the grace of God, the gospel was preached, and they became Christians. And so the church began. No wonder this note of joy permeates the letter of uh, Philippians. And our, pre- our preachers before me have stated this very clearly. And so Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord at last, because the, the Philippians have now exercised their generosity. Let me explain this very briefly here. See, Paul worked at Thessalonica. We read that tonight. And while Paul was there, there was a financial need that came up in Paul's life. And you know what the Philippians did? Guess what? Well, they could have said, oh, Paul, it's your problem. You've got a financial need, it's your problem. Right? You've got to solve this problem yourself. But you know what the Philippians did? They were very generous. They, they took an offering and they began to support Paul financially for the work of the gospel. And so what we see is the generosity of the Philippian church, yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. At last you were able to do this. 
Now that word at last might uh, tell us, well, Paul is saying to the Philippians, well, at last you kind of tried to help me. No, that's not what Paul is saying here. This is not the case. In 10b, we see that he tells us that they wanted to help him, but they had no opportunity to do so. And we don't know why this was the case. And so Paul is expressing his gratitude, one, for their partnership in the gospel. Now, I think John emphasized that in in chapter 1. We see Paul giving thanks to God for their partnership. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers. For all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership. You see, the gospel ministry is one of partnership. Is it not the case? We're all serving God here today. People are leading. People are doing singing. They are doing ministry. Uh, We're all in this together, isn't it? I'm standing here. I'm preaching as a teaching elder here. We are in ministry together. It's a partnership work for the cause of the gospel, right? And Paul is rejoicing here for their partnership and particularly for their generosity as they have given so much of themselves. I thank God. And then he says this as well. But I think it is necessary to send back to you. Now, Epaphroditus, I'm not going to explain uh, this character because somebody has already done this. Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. So there was a generosity in giving. There was a generosity that was expressed by sending Epaphroditus to care. A generous church, friends. And within this framework of generosity of the Philippian Christians, Paul has learned something that is so important in the Christian life. And what is that? We have seen the generosity of the people, but he's also learned something else. And that is, he emphasizes the generosity of God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that tonight? You see, our God is not a stingy God, is he? Our God is a generous God. Extremely generous. Think about it for a moment. Look at his creation. You see, Paul says this, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In verse 20. And notice how Paul has framed his words. He speaks of God as our Father. What a privilege it is to know God as our Father. Have you thought about that for a moment? What a privilege it is to come to God and to call him Father. When our children come up to us, and they are little kids, they'll come, Dad, you know, I need such and such a thing. They still do it when they're big as well. Right? And, uh, I, I mean, it, it's, it's something very special, isn't it? When a kid comes up to you and says, Dad, you know, can I have this? Or can we talk about this? There's a relationship. And God has given us a fantastic relationship. A relationship that is so precious, so amazing. That we can call God our Father. And, and Paul is saying to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. The point is that the God of the Bible is the one who provides at the one level in his common grace for all of mankind. Such as rain, sunshine, the oxygen we breathe and the like. But there is a further point that we see here. And that is Paul's reminder to the Philippian Christians that our God is a God who supplies our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And you look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, what do we see there? God sending his Son into this world. A glorious riches that are ours in Christ. Now what? I mean, I said there are heaps of messages here. 
think about the glorious riches that are ours in Christ. We'll be here all night. Okay? I mean, think about it. The glorious riches that are ours in Christ, He has lavished you. He has absolutely lavished us. That He has forgiven my sin. He has taken my sin and nailed it to the cross. And He has sealed me with the Sealed, sealed us with the power of his Holy Spirit. He has set aside us to be his children. He has put a seal of ownership in your life. And he's written your name in the Lamb's book of life. And he's raised you up and seated you up in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. And he says you are mine. And he says I will come back for you one day. And he says if you die I will take you into my heaven. Boy, doesn't that cause you to rejoice? That's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me going in pastoral ministry. As a Christian, this joy that we have in this amazing, amazing, glorious riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. My God will supply all your needs. And God does it, friends. When we are generous, God does give to us in abundance. So don't be stingy as a Christian. Be generous as God has given us many good things in our in our lives. He speaks of God as a father. Now friends, God the Father is not like an earthly father. He's perfect, he's sinless, he's pure, he's loving, he's compassionate, he loves his children, he's a father of truth and justice, he's a father that we can trust at all times. And the glory of God the Father is expressed in his character and therefore is worthy of praise. And Paul is looking forward to the day when God shall be praised Forever and ever. Amen. That's what he says, isn't it? And I've got some text here, Revelation chapter 4. I won't go into all of that tonight. It talks about this glorious God and the praise that is uh, to God. And Paul concludes that section, verse 20, by saying, To our God and Father be glory forever. It's a doxology of praise to our God. And within this context of generosity, Paul has learned something that is so important And that is, he's also learned the secret of contentment. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have in plenty. Have you ever been in need? Have you ever really struggled and wondered where your next meal might come through? Have you ever really been in need? The secret of being content... I'll tell you something very personal for us. Uh, when we were married, uh, after we got married, we went straight to uh, Sri Lanka into, into ministry of missions. The house was not the five-star houses that we have here. I lived on a salary of, uh, I think, $50 a month, basically. Uh, both girls were born there. And we couldn't even afford to buy oranges or apples. Couldn't afford to do it. Just simply couldn't. And whenever someone, when we were in need, somehow God would send a a $20 note, a $40 no, dollars in the mail, and I used to go shopping and buy these little apples and oranges and bring home for Rose, who's pregnant at the time. And we cut a piece of cheese and we cut it so that we can actually virtually see the sky because it was so thin, trying to save up. But God always provided. He always provided amazingly. And I'm sure you can tell stories like that. I'm not the only one here. You can share your personal stories. How God has been so gracious and such a generous God and to be, be in need and to be in want 
It's, 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 it's massive, isn't it? I've, Paul says, I have learned. And what does he learn? He has learned the secret of what it means to be content in need and in plenty. Learn to be content whatever the circumstances are. So Paul is content with both circumstances of being rich and being poor because his contentment is independent of circumstances. And Paul uses one of these great words of the Greek and Roman uh, uh, ethics. The uh, word content means to be entirely self-sufficient. That's, that's the translation of the Greek word here. And this word was used by the Stoics, the Greek philosophers who go back to the time of Socrates, the great Greek philosopher who was well known for some of his great quotes. I know uh, Ian made some quotes this evening. Uh, he said things like this, an honest man is always a child. That Socrates, that's what he said. He said, as for me, all I know is that I know nothing. And Socrates was once asked, who was the wealthiest person? And he replied, the one who is content with least, for contentment is nature's wealth. And someone else, speaking on contentment, put it this way, the happy man is content with his present lot, no matter what it is, and is reconciled to his circumstances. Are we? And Paul uses this word to show the independence of external circumstances to be content. A very important point in this whole passage here tonight. Are you content? Or are you living an unsatisfied life? Paul writing to a young pastor, and in fact, uh, the author to the book of Hebrews as well, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And having food and clothing, let us be content. Or the author to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 5, Be content with whatever you have. For he said, I will never leave you all, forsake you. See that? That's what God is saying. Be content with what you have because I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you every step of the way. And my friends, this is the amazing work of God's grace again. His presence, His constant presence through His Holy Spirit that He says to you, He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Be content. I'm with you every step of the way. So, Paul says, be content. Contentment is a virtue. Contentment is a command. Now, this does not mean that you don't, one does not have ambition. Imagine if your uh, child will come and say to you uh, as a parent, well, he or she is in year 10 or something. Well, I'm pretty content in my life. I'm in year 10. I don't need to study anymore. That's it. Wow. Or if you're in the business world, right, you might say, well, this is it. I don't want to proceed any further with my business. I'll just stay as I am and not have any ambition. That's, that's not what the word is here. I, I try to put it this way, okay? I try to give it some thought. What really is contentment? I came up with something like this. Contentment is being satisfied, knowing that you are doing your best in serving God with all the gifts and talents he has given you, living for his praise within the context of his generosity and being content. Because Paul has learned the secret of being content. And so he says this, I can do all things, everything through him who gives me strength. Now this verse I think sometimes is quoted out of context, right? It's taken and quoted all over the place. I can do everything so I can, I can jump from 50 bills uh, wherever it is and I'll be alright. I can fly from one place to another. And that's not what the text is saying. Yet. I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength within the context of learning to be content. No matter what happens, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So tonight, I want to pray that God will give us strength 
that comes from him. Let's keep moving on, please. And, and the grace that we see here is quite amazing. Greet, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All the saints send you, send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The greetings. What do we see here, friends? Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. Who is a saint? Are you a saint? <laughs> I see you raising your hands tonight, right? If you're a, a believer in Christ, then you are a saint. Um, what comes up when, in your mind when you think of or hear of this word saint? Perhaps you think of somebody who's got a halo around their head. Perhaps somebody carrying a Bible on their shoulders, a big, massive Bible perhaps. It comes up in our minds when we think about a saint. We think of somebody who's a super holy person, right? Perhaps. But Paul says here, all the believers are saints. We differ from the Catholic Church in a big way. We don't need a, 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 a papal authority to make someone a saint. When you are in Christ, you are a saint. It means you are set apart. That's what it means. It means that you belong to God. It means that you have been cleansed by the blood, blood of Jesus and that you are his. So tonight, if you are a believer in Jesus, that means you are a saint. That is, you are set apart. You are holy. You are different. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's what a saint is. Are you one? Do you know Jesus tonight as your Savior? Let's keep going. In verse 22, uh, 22 we read this. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to, the, to Caesar's household. Now, my friends, think about it. This is Caesar's household. What, what comes up in our minds when we think about Caesar's household? It's something like this. It's something like Washington, D.C. Okay, it's like the White House, Caesar's household. It's like uh, Canberra, right? The household, this is not just a house. This is the place where power was uh, exercised. This, is, this was the seat of power, Caesar's household. And guess what Paul is saying? The saints from whose house? From Caesar's household are sending you greetings. What's happened there? The gospel of Christ has come in and people in Caesar's household have been converted. Right? And they are sending greetings. Isn't that amazing? Shouldn't we be praying for those in power, in authority, in our political system to experience grace? You see, remember, you might be working in a difficult environment. You may be thinking, I wish I could work in a more godly or at least a neutral place where I wasn't surrounded by such raw paganism. But friends, tonight, you need to view your, your, your area of work as a mission field, a great opportunity for the light of the gospel to shine into that dark place through you because the grace of God can cut through the hardest heart and it has done it in Caesar's household. So don't be discouraged. And then Paul says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What a tremendous way to end the letter. See, the generosity of the, um, the Philippians was a fragrant offering as it were to God. Now the grace of God has hit them and because they've been moved by grace, they're moved to give. This last week, this church received, as I mentioned this morning, an anonymous donation of $17,600. That's 
being generous. We don't know who the people are. I think we can know it, but we don't want to. But they've given a donation. Straight away, being generous for the work of the gospel. Because grace, I think, has moved them. Right? If you're driven by grace, then things happen. When you're driven by grace, you're touched by God, converted. You're driven by grace, the grace will touch your wallet. <laughs> right? And grace will touch your wallet and your bank account to give because you've been touched by grace. And grace will move you to be generous. And grace will help you to understand how much God is precious to you and to me. And that's what we see. We talk about grace, two kinds of grace very quickly, saving grace, a transforming grace. And that's what the Philippian Christians are experiencing. Born again by the Spirit of God, experiencing that grace in a most spectacular way. So friends, tonight, as we bring this book to a close, we've seen the joy that comes through generosity, the joy that comes by the grace of God. Um, it was uh, C.T. Studd who said this. If uh, C.T. Studd, for those of us who like cricket, by the way, speaking of cricket, the Sri Lankan team is coming uh, to Australia in December, so I thought I'll let you know anyway. C.T. Studd, the great cricketer and pioneer missionary, to China. This, is China. this guy, right? I, I read his biography, uh, just a, a profile of his biography this past week. Right? Was only being faithful to Jesus and Paul when he condensed the spirit uh, and, and the principle of Christian living into one memorable sentence. I put another one in there. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And then, forever, uh, forward, ever, backward, never. Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. What? Because it's moved by grace. So friends, as we conclude tonight, are you generous? Have you been touched by God's grace? Are you content with what God has given us? And most of all, are you rejoicing in the Lord? Because that's what comes through in this letter. A joy that comes. It's an amazing joy. that comes from knowing the power of Jesus Christ. And it's, that's why Paul says, I want to know the power of Jesus in my life. And for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because of the gospel. I just want to pray that we will be that kind of people, being generous, being gracious, because of what Christ has done for us and living a life that is filled with contentment for him. Amen.